Encounter with God. Okay, Encounter with God. What do we got? We have got comparing, uh, sorry, text, uh, text and contexts. Um, so this is uh, things in Scripture, and we've been we've been looking at uh, the whole week. We've been looking at the language, text, and context. And I guess today we're focusing on text and context. Okay, so let's tell a story about text and context. Indeed. Because a text without context is a pretext. Indeed, and I, I know that that is something that is often... There's, there's one... We'll take Ellen White, for example. She's said a lot of things that a lot of people have taken out of context. Uh, well, I don't know about a same lot of things. Same with the Bible. But same with the Bible. Same with the Bible. Um, but so it, it, it's not just the Bible, it's Ellen White. Everything gets taken out of context. You get taken out of context. I get, I get taken, taken out, out of context. context. Lots of people get taken out of context. Context is always important. And it is, yeah, just one of those... Um, one, of those one of those situations that is very, very challenging um, at times because there's nothing worse than being taken out of context. And so you can imagine how God feels when God is taken out of context. Mm. But when you take the Bible out of context, you can actually use the Bible to prove anything you want. You can create your own religion just straight from the Bible. Uh, and, and just completely out of thin air. And so... We've spoken about this before, the Church of Lyle and the Church of Liam. That's right. And uh, have our own little faiths. Uh, an example of, the, of this, it's a little bit of a parable. I don't think that this ever actually happened. But, you know, there's a man who's looking for guidance in his life, and so he decided to, you know, open his Bible and stab his finger. And so he prays, and he opens his Bible, and he stabs his finger, and he reads, you know, what it says under his finger. And the Bible says Judas went and hanged himself. So that was a bit confronting. He was a bit worried about that. And so he then, um, he then well, I'll, I'll try again. So he, he, he prays and opens his Bible and stabs his finger. By the way, this is not the way you find guidance from the Bible. It's not by praying and then stabbing your, Bible, your finger into the Bible. Stabs his finger, reads the verse that is under his finger, and it says, uh, Go and do thou likewise. So now things are getting you know, a little bit more worrying for him. He's like super stressed out. And so he's like, well, I've got to try again. And so he prays and opens the Bible and stabs his finger, and under his finger it says, What thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> Which just goes to illustrate that if you take a verse out of context, you can prove anything you want. And in this person's case, you can prove that you must quickly go and hang yourself. Indeed. And saying that, though, there are exceptions and to the rule. The, of course, the Bible says that that is, you know the exact wrong thing to do. The Bible says that you're a person of incredible value to God, that your life is incredibly valuable to God, and that you're so valuable to God that Jesus Christ gave his life for you and that he loves you. You know, And even regardless of what is going on around you, you might be out of work, you might be suffering from depression, whatever it is, life is worth living. Okay, you. I cut you off there. You were going to say something, uh, Liam. Yeah, I was just going to say that there is an. Ex- there, there's always exceptions to the rule. I've heard of many stories where someone has just been struggling. They've been in the deepest, darkest place, and they've just opened their Bible and looked at a word or looked at a at a, at a verse, and it's blessed them. Oh, no question about that. But that's not how you go no. about the practice of gaining like guidance a, from the Bible. Like you I want said, to gain guidance to the from rule. the Bible. And usually that's a situation where somebody's just like, you know, they open their Bible up to do some random reading and God directs them to the po- the passage Indeed. that they need to have at that, which is a little bit different from um, saying, hey, God, I need to know who I should marry. So I'm going to just open my Bible up and stab my finger and, uh, 
you know, the first Matthew. female name that comes up, I'm going to find someone by that name and marry them, you could you set yourself up for all kinds of disasters by doing so. That's Indeed. not how Bible study works. It is not a magic book. It is an inspired book. There is a difference between inspiration and magic, and magic is not what it is. Indeed. Okay, so we're going to look at some examples of context today and what context can actually reveal about the Scriptures and how context can actually open our understanding to you know, a deeper meaning for you know, particularly some of the words that you find in the Bible. We might even look at an example that we looked at a fortnight ago. We're going to come back to one there, but we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We were looking at this verse yesterday, but we're taking a different angle at it today. All right. And verse 27, I think, is our first one there. It is indeed. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, I'm going to read that in the King James Version, because in your version, being a paraphrase, it has placed the context in there. Indeed. Whereas my version, being a more word-for-word style translation, has left the actual words in there rather than placing an interpretation or placing context in there. And so in mine it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Okay, so the Bible says that God created man in his own image. Is that just referring to Adam in this case? No. How do we know that? Because it says he, he, he male and female. Male and female, exactly. And so when the Bible says, so we know that the word man in the Bible often refers to humanity. Indeed. It's a word that is used to refer to humanity. Uh, even in the English language, we often talk about mankind. When we talk about mankind, we're talking about humanity. And that's just how it was written. It's kind of very politically incorrect in the last 30 years or so. Yeah. And you even have people who have tried to make politically correct Bibles. I think that's just an abomination. It's just like, don't add to or take away from what God has given us here. We are intelligent creatures. And a woman who is reading this passage here is not going to be confused and suddenly think, oh, only men were created in the image of God uh, because it says that God created man in his own image. No, the context says male and female created he them. Uh, so that means that both of us were created in the image of God. Okay, but then you might ask yourself the question, all right, the word man in the Bible, in its first usage right here, refers to humanity, to mankind. Does that mean that every place in the Bible you find the word man, it only refers to humanity? It only refers to mankind? Not at all. No, not at all. And we're going to find that right here within this passage. We're going to find a number of different contexts for the way that the word man or humanity is used so that we can understand it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so moving on from there, let's go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, please. Genesis 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Okay, so when we look at this particular passage, what we find is... Well, what do we find? Is this, is this talking about humanity, or is this talking about 
a male person. It is talking about male person. Now, one thing I do want to know is yesterday we were talking about repetition and the rule of three. Uh-huh. How many, I'm going to read it again. Count how many times the word, uh, the word man is said. Then the Lord God formed the man, that's one, from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's, that's two, nostrils, and the man became a living person. Oh, there you go. There we go. It is emphasizing the fact that it's talking about the man. Indeed. Once again, yours being a paraphrase, adds the context in by doing so. Mine being a more word-for-word translation, doesn't. you've got to go looking for the context. And so in mine it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So, yeah, yours has added that uh, context in there, which in these cases is useful. Sometimes with a paraphrase it can let you down. Indeed. And we always need to be aware of that. Okay, so when we uh, look at this particular passage, we find that is it is... Okay, so how do we know that God is not just talking about humanity here, but he's talking about an actual individual? Hey, okay, so there's a further context in this passage. Yeah. All right, let's go to some further context, and then we'll, we will look at how the further context within the passage is going to reveal that this is most definitely... Uh, this is this is this is a an an individual person that we're talking about. Genesis chapter two, verse fifteen through twenty three. Okay, so the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, "You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die." Then the Lord God said, "It is not good." For the man to be alone, I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. The man... Uh, While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, "This this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. So that's where we get the context from. So on its own, really, if you were to ask me, if, if I hadn't known that bit and I hadn't known the story, and I were to just read the previous verse alone, then I, I guess there wouldn't truly... I wouldn't you could say answer. maybe it's mankind that's being created. Exactly. Here. Yeah. Yeah. How does the context reveal that it is a single solitary male individual in verse 7? Because it goes on to explain that a single solitary female is created. And how is the female created? It is created from the man. Okay, so from a rib from, from the a, man. From a rib from the man. Yeah, so what you've got then, in essence, is that... Uh, you have two individuals who are being created in two very different ways, and therefore, in chapter 1 and verse 27, man is a reference to humanity, mankind, and uh, uh, 2 verse 7 is in reference to a single solitary individual male person. 
And so context is always going to be important. Context is going to help you understand these type, kind of things. Go to Mark chapter 2, verse 27, 28. Mark 2, verse 27 and 28. And tell me... Ooh, your translation will probably give a... We'll probably place the context in there for this one. Um, let me just go there myself so that we can do a comparison. Okay, all right. I'll read it from mine. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. This one in relationship to the Sabbath, is that talking about a man, because that's the word that it uses, or is it talking about just Jewish people, or is it talking about humanity? Well, and why? My my Bible it, it sort of discounts one of those. Okay, um, but not the other. It doesn't affirm it, but it discounts. So I'll, I'll read mine. Mine yes. says the. Then Jesus said to them, "The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people meet the ne- meet the requirements of the Sabbath." So the Son of Man. So yours is yours is your, sorry for butting in. No, yours has placed the context into the. Passage. It has. It has indeed. Yes. It's interpreted uh, what the context is, and it has placed it into the passage. And instead of saying man, it said people. People. Yes. Um, uh, it doesn't well, necessarily which people just a less, specifically, no, but in general, it's a less formal way of saying humanity or mankind. Indeed. And yours is a less formal translation. Okay, so um, what you've got then is. Your translation actually placed the context in there. Now, if we actually look at the context, the context is the Sabbath. And we simply ask ourselves the question, was the Sabbath only made for Adam? You know, you've got the Sabbath being made uh, the day after Adam was created. You have it referenced uh, two verses before, three verses before verse 7 there that we just read, we're reading from Genesis chapter 2. So we know it comes very, very early on. We know that it was given to Adam. Was it only made for Adam? No, because when you go to the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments say that the Sabbath is for all humanity. Therefore, when Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, he's not talking about just Adam or just some other random man or himself. He's talking about all of humanity because of the context given to it by the Ten Commandments. Indeed. And then, of course, you can look for further context if you go to Matthew chapter 24, or back to Matthew chapter 24, and verse 20, where Jesus speaks about our day, and he says, pray that your flight is not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. And so, of course, he's talking to all Christians at the end of time um, and commanding us, yeah, to keep the Sabbath at the end of time. It's a pretty clear passage right there. Okay, let's look at some other examples for context. Uh, let's think about wine. What yes. is wine? Wine, in, in today's day and age, wine is an alcoholic beverage yes. that can come in a couple of different forms, uh, whether it's you know f- grapes or, or from fruit or whatnot. Okay, so what, if you, wanted, what if you wanted to buy non-alcoholic grape juice from the supermarket What's that going to be called? Grape juice. Grape juice. Here's the trick. In the Bible, that was called wine. What if you wanted to buy grape juice concentrate so that you could you know, mix it with water and create more? What would that be called today? A cordial? 
Yes, it could be called grape juice cordial. That would be an artificial concentrate. Or it could be the real thing, which would be grape juice concentrate. Yeah. So in today's world, we have three different kinds of beverages. We have grape juice. Indeed. We have concentrate. And we have wine. Yes. In the Bible, wine was the word that they used for all three. And I can understand why. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Because nowadays we've got things that prevent it from being turned into alcohol, whereas in those days, regardless of sort of what you did to it, there was typically there was going to... There was going to be something, but not always. But No, because they had very good uh, techniques of creating concentrate. Really? Which you could then keep for up to 18 months or even more without it turning into alcohol. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Something new this morning. All right. Well, the, the concentrate, of course, was uh, one of the concentrates was called dibbus um, and is still used in uh, the Middle East. There you go. Yeah, so you can keep... Uh, dibbus will stay for uh, 18 months and can be reconstituted. So the question is... When you've got one word used three different ways, it can refer to concentrate, grape juice, or alcohol, then the only way that you're going to find out in the Bible which one is being spoken of is by context. And so we're going to look at some passages in relationship to context. While we listen to this song, if you're listening in, go to Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 8. Find out what the context tells you right there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, where are we up to? We were talking about context and we were talking about the word wine as an example Indeed. of this. Okay, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 8. So we have three different beverages in the Bible. You have um, wine, you have alcohol, you have grape juice, and you have concentrate. And we're going to try and figure out which one of the three is being spoken of in this verse according to the context. Isaiah 65 verse 8, please, Liam. Went to the wrong chapter. 65 and verse 8, it says. Okay. Uh, But I will not destroy them all, says the Lord, for just as good grapes are found among a cluster of bad ones, and someone will say, don't throw them all away, some of those grapes are good. So I will not destroy all of Israel, for I still have true servants there. And just like that, your paraphrase comes crashing down. It does indeed. <laughs> Let me read it to you from the... I must say that the, the, the middle of that, that was in brackets. Okay. Thus says the Lord. See if this one sounds a little bit different. I want you to listen to this one. And I want you to find from the context uh, what kind of beverage is being referred to. Because yours doesn't even refer to any kind of beverage. It's just like grapes. Thus says the Lord. As the new wine is found in the cluster... And one says, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake that I may not destroy them all. So when the Bible talks about the new wine here, what kind of beverage is that? Grape juice, concentrate, or alcohol? Grape juice. That is grape juice. How do you know it's grape juice? Because it's new, fresh. And whereabouts is it? Found. Um, It's found on the grape. (laughs) <laughs> it's found in the cluster, and uh, Liam is um, desperately trying not to sneeze over there right now. Saved himself. <laughs> Saved himself. Back from the brink. Indeed. Um, okay, so the new wine is found in the cluster. That's grape juice because when you squeeze a cluster of grapes, you get grape juice, not alcohol and not concentrate. Make sense so far? So far, yes. Okay, so see how the context is going to define for you what beverage you're dealing with. All right, go to the book of Proverbs. And let's look for some, uh, okay, Psalms, Proverbs, 
And we'll go to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. Proverbs 20 and verse 1. And let's see if we can learn from the context what beverage we have here. Okay. Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. Okay. Which beverage do you have there? The alcoholic, the wine. And why do you know that? Because it says alcohol. Has anybody ever seen a brawl break out over people drinking fresh grape juice? I can't say that I have. No, I don't believe that has ever (laughs) happened. What about over drinking alcohol? Plenty of times. Over and over again. Jump on YouTube and YouTube has probably millions of videos of people getting involved in violence as a result of alcohol. In fact, if you were to remove alcohol from our community right now, we would relegate our ambulance drivers to patient transport. Indeed. You know, and I've had, I've had ambus who've told me that. Every time they go out when it's not patient transport, alcohol is involved. Now, every time, maybe a bit of an overstatement on their part, but you kind of get the picture. There is This is, out of all of the drugs that are a scourge in this country, none is a greater scourge, none causes greater heartache and pain than alcohol. It is the greatest curse that this country has ever seen, and we would do well to, yeah, just get rid of it like they did under Prohibition. It was the best thing ever. Okay, let's go to Proverbs 23. And verse 31, 32. Proverbs 23, 31 and 32 says, Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end it bites like a poisonous snake, it stings like a viper. Keep going. Uh, You will see hallucinations and you will see crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say... They hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Okay, that's an alcoholic right there. I think the context is very, very clear that that one's alcoholic, right? Without a doubt. Okay, let's then go to the wedding feast that Jesus went to. And here you have an interesting story. Jewish wedding went for three days. That's uh, John chapter 2. Jewish wedding went for three days. And as a result of the Jewish wedding going for three days, they, you know, they would drink throughout that period. And one of the you know, responsibilities, of course, was to provide wine. The Bible says that in this case, on the third day, they ran out. And so the Bible says that Jesus, to alleviate the embarrassment, created more wine. Okay, so let's work our way through the uh, story here. In verse 7, Jesus said, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Take some now and take it to the governor of the feast. And they took it. And when the ruler of the feast has tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and this is your context right here, and said, Every man at the beginning sets forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but you have kept the good wine until now. Okay, so now we find some context. Our context tells us this was the third day of the wedding. Our context tells us that they ran out because they drank a lot of wine. Okay, you now have two options. That can be alcohol 
or it can be grape juice. If that is alcohol and they've gone on a three-day drinking binge, what condition are they in? Not a very good one. Not a very good condition at all. And would Jesus involve himself in that? And when they run out of alcohol, would Jesus be like, oh, no, this is a disaster. You know, <laughs> we're running out of alcohol. Let's create another six kegs of the stuff. No, there's no way in the world would Jesus, who gave his life for the salvation of human beings, have anything to do with alcohol. And so when the Bible says at the beginning they set forth good wine, that's grape juice. And then after that, that which is worth, because grape juice doesn't keep overnight without turning into alcohol. And so you have to go to grape juice, concentrate for the second two days. But when Jesus creates wine, he doesn't create concentrate. He creates pure grape juice. The Bible condemns alcoholism. The Bible says that, you know, no alcohol is going alcoholic is going into heaven. And Jesus would never give alcohol to somebody when there was the danger of them losing their salvation by becoming an alcohol as a result of his actions. That would be totally against the character of Jesus Christ. He wants to get rid of this curse out of our lives.